the loan or the overdraft or the, or the equity fund, whatever it might be, whatever funding it is, is just the vehicle. It's just to the means to the end. The end result is that cash in that business enabling you to do that project or to grow the business, to scale the business, to start up, whatever it might be. And people shouldn't lose sight of that, not just the business owner, but also the person at the other end who's providing the funding shouldn't forget that either. Hello and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. At Umi, we make it easier for businesses to do more and go further by finding and packaging the best information, expertise and finance so you can make better business decisions more quickly. This conversation is with finance expert Sean Foy. And Sean is a network manager at the British Business Bank covering the Northeast region. What we're going to be talking to him about is what the British Business Bank does and what Sean's role is there, the coronavirus loan schemes that the bank ran during the pandemic, other programs it runs now to support startups and SMEs, as well as the advice and mentoring initiatives that are available to founders through the bank who are taking their first steps in business. We'll also hear Sean's thoughts on the current business and financial landscape and his advice for those companies that are trying to navigate it. To say a little bit about Sean, he's been in business banking for 30 years, working in management at many of the major high street banks, including Barclays, RBS, NatWest, Allied Irish and Lloyds, before taking up his post at the British Business Bank. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Sean Foy. Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast, Sean, to talk about your role at the British Business Bank. Um, what I'm hoping is that we can kind of uh, help businesses who might be listening to this find about uh, find out a little bit more about the bank um, and the kind of landscape for business loans more generally. So I guess just to start us off, Sean, could you just tell me a little bit about your role as, as a network manager at the bank and and the kind of yeah. what, what you what I guess just what you kind of do day to day and then we'll come on to, I think what the bank does more generally yeah no that's that's fine Richard um so the bank's been in existence since 2016 that's the first thing to say um so five five years um and and the bank is obviously the the government's um owned by the UK government and it's the UK's development bank so we're funded by the treasury and, and based Department of Business Energy and Industrial Strategy are our nominal shareholder and until really 2018 all the programs were what I would call supply side programs it was about one way or another putting money into the markets or supporting lenders or uh, equity funders of one sort or another in the market to help small businesses um, in one way or another access funding um, but my role is on the demand side of the bank because I, I did a degree in economics at university and, and with supply, there's always demand on the other side of it. And, and one of the challenges that the bank has is or had was understanding the access to finance out in the regions. We only had people really based in our two offices. We have one in Sheffield, which is our head office, and I had another one in London. But how do you know what's going on in the Northeast or Scotland or Wales or indeed anywhere in the UK if you haven't got people on the ground? So a network team was established, a UK network team that I'm a member of, and I, and I cover the northeast Lepatch area, so the seven local authorities, sort of north and south of the Tyne and the, and the Weir. 
um, and, and try to understand the access to finance landscape. So what are the barriers business face, uh, are facing? Who are the active partners in the region, whether they be um, local authorities, the LEP, uh, universities, different incubator programs and accelerators, what the uh, accountants and the lawyers are doing in that space, enterprises, anybody really who is a stakeholder and works in any way, shape or form with small businesses. Um, you know, so I will engage with them on a, on, on a daily basis. I will speak at uh, uh, events and activities. Um, sometimes we'll initially those themselves. Sometimes people ask us to come and talk about finance and funding for events. Sometimes they're virtual, obviously a lot virtual in the last 18 months or so because of COVID, but equally some of them will be in-person events and we'll do events like this because what we're trying to do is just signpost on funding and educate as best we can. Um, and we're not trying to teach grandmother to suck eggs or anything like that. It, it's about making sure that the business is or the business owners are fully informed about their funding options because um, there's no point if there's supply there, if there's funds there, whether that be debt or equity, if you don't know how to get it, if you don't know where it is, or you don't even know it's there in the first place. Um, yeah. So that's part of my, my role and my job. <clears throat> and obviously I've got a, <clears throat> a background in, in commercial lending. I work for three major banks down the years, over, over 30 years. So I know a little bit about lending. I know a little bit about, I know quite a bit about equity now. Um, and so hopefully that uh, that will that will help businesses going, yeah. going forward in, in this region. Yeah, I think I think as well, Sean, you know, you highlighted um you, you know the 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 bank not having that regional network previously. And I guess so. because each region will have a unique set of challenges, won't it? So, you know, what what's it, affecting businesses in Scotland and and in uh, will be completely different to what's affecting them in the southeast or somewhere like that. So is that yeah. quite an important part of your role, the kind of feedback? It is, yes. Yeah. So we will feed back information to the Department of Business and Energy and Industrial Strategy base and we'll feed stuff back to the Treasury and that will help influence decisions as to what happens in a particular area or region of the country. Um, because they are different. You know, if you if you go to, say, the east of England, you have the Golden Triangle, London, Oxford, Cambridge, and if you're a business in that area, perhaps you've come out of a university, university spin out, the chances are you're going to be able to access early stage funding, angel funding, equity funding a lot more easily than if you're a business in um, the Midlands or in Northern Ireland or in the Northeast for, uh, for, for that matter. Equally in Scotland, they have um, the Scottish Government and have a number of initiatives, including the Scottish Investment Bank or the new, new SNIB Bank that's been created, Scottish National Investment Bank. And a number of equity programs there that's very different to what you'll find south of the border um so it, it, it it's a it's a challenge to understand what's going on in each region and different regions have different barriers but they're also positive so is there something that's going well in a particular region can that be replicated in another region in another area of the country so uh, we're, we're quite conscious of the, the nuances of the region. All the team have lived and worked in that region for many years. There's 13 in the network team out in the field to work from home. And we have a central team and obviously directors. So there's around 20 odd people work for the network team okay. uh, across the UK. Okay. But we've all got a you know a knowledge of our own patch, an extensive knowledge of our own patch. Yeah, of course, of course. And you know, the the bank was set up in 2016, but it, it's kind of function, if you like, as has changed, do you think, since it was first? Because like you say, until 2018, it was more uh, on the supply side, whereas whereas now 
it's more yeah. kind of focused on helping businesses directly. Yeah, I think I think there's probably a few things that's happened. Is um, <clears throat> we've always tried to help businesses, but it's, we're always one step removed in the process. That is still the case by and large. <clears throat> we work through partners. We have approaching 200 partners work for the bank, whether that be a high street bank uh, working alongside us, whether that be a, a, um, you know a, a new bank that's entered the marketplace, and we've had a number of new banks entered over the last the last 10 years. Whether that be an equity funder like a venture venture capital firm or an angel network or it might be a startup loans partner um, or, or, or someone of that nature um, but by and large you see we're always one step removed um, I think probably people are now far more aware of us because of the COVID loan program so we ran this Sybils uh, and Bounce Back program we continue to run them although they're close to, to new business as it were um, and we run the new RLS or the recovery loan scheme program as well and that's probably where we've most become prominent I always used to describe it as if you like we're a wholesaler, you, you're buying um, the product that I sell in the supermarket, to the, but I sell it to the supermarket, that the supermarket's my client, you're the client of the supermarket. You didn't know it was my product, but you probably do now, purely because uh, of the publicity that we saw over the last 18 to 24 months because of, of the COVID programs, but also because of the network team, because we're on the ground now, we're engaging with local stakeholders, and therefore they are aware of us. When I joined the bank three years ago, people didn't really know who we were, to be perfectly honest. And I, and I did have occasions where people thought I was just another challenger bank, you know, that I was just another, uh, you know, bank entering the marketplace. And, and, and what some of my colleagues from one of my, my old banks I used to work for thought I was a competitor and I was going to possibly, you know, be poaching that, poaching that client. You know, we, we, all we want to do is, is make sure that businesses can access the funding. Um, because, you know, one of the old managers I worked for many, many years ago when I first worked for a, for a bank with a Blue Eagle, and I'll not name it, um, and there's lots of other <laughs> banks out there as well, uh, was, was the business doesn't want the funding. They don't want the loan on the overdraft or whatever it might be. They want what it does for their business. And, and people forget that. Um, sometimes the owner forgets that. They become obsessed about getting the loan or the overdraft and forget what is it actually going to do for their business. The loan or the overdraft or the, or the equity fund, whatever it might be, whatever funding it is, is just the vehicle. It's just to the means to the end. The end result is that cash in that business enabling you to do that project or to grow the business, to scale the business, to start up, whatever it might be. And people yeah. shouldn't lose sight of that, not just the business owner, but also the person at the other end who's providing the funding shouldn't forget that either yeah uh, it's important do, for the lenders to remember that as well i mean colleagues used to say to me they want a loan i say they don't they want what it does yeah yeah the, the it's an interesting way of looking at it again. yeah you know, no it is um, it is um and, and, and I, forget I, that, get carried away we get carried away unfortunately yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well you, you mentioned obviously the, the covid loans uh programs and that that that's definitely when i first became aware of the british business bank you know it was kind of um you know march april time last year when everyone was losing their minds and um you know you you were wondering how these businesses were going to be able to sustain um long periods of, of lockdowns that that at that time you know were, were, were for an undetermined period of time and you know businesses having no revenue coming through the door, how are they going to, you know, um, pay, pay their overheads, pay for their staff, pay yeah. for their premises and things like that. 
And, you know, it really felt like the British Business Bank was, was and the, obviously, uh, you know, sort of acting on behalf of the government kind of came in with, um, yeah, it was the first one was the coronavirus business interruptions loan scheme. Was was that the first yeah. one that was introduced? Yeah, that was the, the Sybils one. And then and then variations then spun from it. You have then the Sybils large program where mm. normally we would only be with small businesses. We were then working with larger businesses that had turnover in excess of 25 million. So those ones that you would argue there were small corporates, if you like, the, the, if you like the the end of the SME, if you like, the big, those bigger businesses uh, that are probably well established and been around a long time. And that was brought in to, to help those because at a very high level, the Bank of England had a COVID facility scheme that, you know, household names, PLCs could access. But actually there was a gap in the middle in and that hence the Civil's Large programme. And then obviously born from that was the Bounce Back programme or the Bibbles programme, as we used to call it. Um, that, that was brought in really because because a lot of these businesses wanted a relatively small amount of money. And, and, and I know to businesses, 50 grand or less is not a small amount. I understand that. But in lending terms, it is. Um, it, it's quite small. They might have wanted, I remember speaking to one business that they wanted probably, I think it was about £5,000. Um, and, and they were going to have to do, because the civils were programmed, because there's a, there was a risk to the lender, um, had an 80% guarantee, but there's still a 20% risk to the lender. And the business was 100% liable for the for the debt. They were they were going to be in a position where they were going to have to do you know provide financial information, perhaps provide a business plan, forecasts, a lot of information. And a decision was made that most of these businesses were, who were wanting to borrow under 50 grand, the bounce back program was introduced, where effectively they're answering six questions, obviously truthfully, and there was a 100% guarantee. So you remove the risk to the lender. You mm. remove any chance of not being able to get your money back. Um, okay. And therefore, the businesses were able to access that funding. And many of these businesses had never borrowed before. And that's, that was the big dynamic. What people forget is a lot of businesses self-fund, whether that be from their own money, from the, the business owner's money, from family or friends, um, uh, effectively making an investment in the business or self-generation of cash they don't borrow. When I was a lending manager a number of years ago, um, about only perhaps a third to half of my portfolio actually borrowed. Uh, and even then, a lot of them had what we call standby facilities, you know, standby overdrafts, that, and they didn't have my working capital facilities. They didn't actually use the facilities. Mm. Um, they were there as, and in case of need, I used to call it a comfort blanket. You know, a child has a comfort blanket. It was like a yeah. comfort blanket for the child business that that, that that actually if there's a problem um uh, i have a problem with cash flow i can access funds quickly um these businesses didn't know you know a lot of these business owners that never thought they were going to need to borrow their business yeah. was running along very well and suddenly they had to close down uh, and for an indeterminate period of time that's the challenge because if you remember yeah. when the announcement was made by the government that monday evening nobody knew how long that was going to go on for and nobody knew that we would have you know additional lockdowns effectively two more lockdowns after that yeah and and that was going to have a massive impact but certainly and you know for a lot of business a lot of key sectors as well you know people like you know, if you're in the retail trade if you didn't have an internet offering how, how are you going to get your product out to, to you know to potential clients uh hospitality leisure suffered badly all of mm. those sectors and if you didn't have a lot of cash 
within your business, how do you survive? Yeah, I think it was it was very much that mentality. I think at first it was the mentality of oh, it'll just be a couple of weeks, you know, and then we'll be back to doing business. And and then it, it very quickly became very much more pessimistic. I think particularly for businesses, yeah. you know, you know, looking back on it now, uh, Sean, you know, I, I think we, we we perhaps maybe don't appreciate just how scary that period was for business owners, you know, and, and yeah, the, obviously the schemes that, that were, were introduced by um, the, the government and obviously all the loan schemes that the, the BBB sorted out, it must've, yeah, it, it must've provided quite a lot of sort of security, I think, um, during what must've been like the most amazing time. Yeah. I think it did. I think what was brought in mind is those schemes were announced first long before furlough came along. I mean, then furlough was mentioned, but it didn't, furlough didn't kick in for probably another month or so. Um, so actually, and, and then, you know, the councils were doing their best to hide help with grant funding. But again, that took time to get up and running. So the loan schemes were almost the first things that were there. And, and many businesses rushed to get a loan because they were frightened. You know, if, if that's been your life's work, if that's your family business, or it's a startup and, and, and you've only been going, you know, six months a year, however long it might be, you feared everything was, was going to, to, to go down the drain, mm. that you were going to lose everything because you couldn't function as a business because of something that no one could have predicted at all. No one, you know, I remember reading in the press about, oh, there's a virus in China. Oh, isn't that sad? Oh, some people died. Oh, that's awful. I never envisaged that somehow it would make its way across the globe and arrive in the northeast of England along with the yeah. rest of the UK. No one, I remember saying to my one of my colleagues who had a cough, and I, I regret it saying it now, oh, you might have COVID. You know, yeah. and, and you said it in a jokey way, but actually within a week or so or 10 days, we were living in a lockdown world of yeah. going out for what, I remember one hour's exercise a day. You know, it became uh, so serious so live. quickly, didn't it? You know, it, 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 yeah. it sort of, um, yeah. And I think that's where the kind of, um, the, the the rapidity, if you like, of of those um, BBB schemes was was so important because everything just unfolded in front of us so quickly, and they were they were delivered very quickly. And also in terms of yeah, in terms of the sort of terms and conditions as well, Sean, because you know a lot. I think a lot of people, you know, they think well, a business loan's it's still a loan. I've I still have to pay it back, but the kind of terms that were typically offered for these um you know the Sibyls loan and the the bbls they were like typically much better terms and conditions than you would get in ordinary times weren't they because of that government yeah. guarantee yeah so yeah with Sibyls, obviously the lenders set the rate but they were working within parameters that we'd established um there were there were different degrees within that because high street bank is going to offer a cheaper rate than a, a, what I would call a second or third tier lender. But sometimes, you know, a, a business wasn't going to get the funding of the High Street Bank because they may have had problems in the past. They may have had a bad credit record. They may have had to fall to a second or third tier lender. They would get the funding, but they'd have to pay more because, you know, the, 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 the interest rate you pay and the fee you pay reflects the degree of risk that the lender perceives in your business. And, and the greater degree of risk, the likely chances, the higher rate you'll pay. That, that's simply how banking works. Um, with bounce back was slightly different. It was in a set rate of two and a half percent, you know, um, six year term, and and it was it was it was done in such a way 
to enable very small businesses to access funding. And a lot of them didn't want anywhere near the 50,000. They wanted, as I say, five grand, 10 grand, 15 grand, small amounts of cash. One of uh, a, a, a family member on my, my wife's side has a, has a, um, a salon business over in the Northwest, um, uh, you know, nail, nails and, and hair and stuff. And, and she just accessed a small amount of, I think somewhere between 10 and 15,000 pounds. And it yeah. enabled her to function because she couldn't, you know, she, they were one of the last businesses to reopen as well, which people forget. Some businesses opened up earlier than others. So if she hadn't had that money, that business, who she's, she's been in business 20 years, that would have gone down. It would not, yeah. it wouldn't be here. It's still yeah. here today. Yeah. I think that's a, such a key point, isn't it, Sean? You know, how many, how many, you know, I think people often talk about how many jobs would have would have gone in in terms of the the furlough scheme but maybe how many businesses would have actually yeah. failed if it wasn't for that sort of really yeah. instant almost access to to capital that they maybe couldn't have got yeah. through through ordinary means like through the, generic the, uh, lenders it would have been very difficult because lenders um the the, the traditional i would say for three high street banks the traditional approach when you're dealing with underwriters is to hunker down when there's a storm and I hope the storm passes over you. They're going to then take a very uh, conservative view of lending to you. The the guarantee encouraged them to step forward. It encouraged them to offer competitive rates. The bounce back loan was obviously a fixed a fixed set rate of two and a half percent, and and so it, it it got funds flowing to businesses. And many of the businesses, you know, around thirty five to forty percent of those businesses got the cash and actually did ultimately didn't end up using it they got grants they got furlough money um they were able to reopen again earlier than the than the thought might might happen and they got up and running quite quickly um and some of them have retained that cash and they're going to use that for future growth projects um they're going to use it to scale as a business or they're keeping it just as a as a backstop if we go into this winter and something unforeseen happens yeah. with COVID. You know, what one of my colleagues today has been confirmed as COVID positive. She lives over in the northwest. She's double vaccinated, and somehow she's ended up with a Delta variant. Yeah, it, it, it happens. It's still, it's still there. out there, it's isn't it? Away. You know, I think it's, it's tempted, tempting. Yeah, we, we, we're going out and about now, and, and you know, social distancing and things like this just sort of don't get mentioned anymore. And some people wear masks, and some people don't. It's personal choice now, but it hasn't gone away. So some businesses are, are, you know, have squirreled the cash away in, in the anticipation there may be a problem down the line, and I, I get that. But it, it just gave people breathing space that they yeah. needed. And, and people panicked. You know, there was a panic. That I know of one lender, I'll not name them, they had 4,000 applications for, for Sybil's loans in the first hour. Wow. There's no lender on the planet could cope with you. I know of one manager at that bank who had 25 applications on the first day. And in, in, in a normal month, you wouldn't get 25. You in normal six months, you wouldn't get 25. Wow. Um, so 25 in one day, you know, he said to me, and I, I know him quite well, where do I start? I said, I guess you've got to start with the very first one and do them yeah. always in a sequential basis because they're all urgent. You know, it's yeah. not as though you can prioritize. And one yeah. says, well, I can wait for my minute. Everyone wanted their money yesterday yeah um and that was that was the challenge for all those lenders and you know that i have to say the lenders have all stepped up a lot of lenders approached the banks one bank and wanted to join the scheme i, I worked on the program the Sybil's program for six months as one of the uh case managers bringing lenders into the program that we'd never worked with before and 
quite challenging because normally you'd, if you were doing due diligence on a new lender and understanding their lending book and their credit policies and their processes, you'd be going to visit them. You'd physically go and see them. You'd, you'd sample their lending book. You couldn't do any of that. You were having to do it all remotely and, yeah. and, and make a decision on a remote basis. You know, I was going before the bank's main board and presenting lending papers. And because I've been a lending manager, you know, not my normal job, I was asked to help out. I went for a few weeks and I was in that program for nearly six months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Along with all of my colleagues, it initially start with a small group of us from the network team and eventually everybody in the network team was involved. And because I've been a lending manager, I was at the forefront with, with a couple of other colleagues because we we knew what we knew what we were doing and we yeah. knew how to talk to those lenders and how to get the more because the more lenders we got on, we felt the more that would give choice and opportunity to a business to source their funding. So if they couldn't, you know, I used to say if well, if, if your own bank says no, always go to your own bank first, but if it can't help you, you can go to the next one and the next one, the next one. There was a list. I said check our site every day. There's new lenders being added on a regular basis. And, and engaging and then the other thing i was going to mention is we also had the future fund that was established yes. relatively quickly um which where for the first time we dealt directly with small businesses normally as i say it's always through a partner it's not us making the decision on lending or investment it was the partner um but suddenly with future fund targeted early stage businesses not many of them pre-revenue who were developing a product uh, primarily perhaps in the life sciences space or tech sector or something of that nature and had a runway of cash as you call it and that runway was going to run out because of covid they envisaged within a year that 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 product would be marketed and there'd be revenue generating or even if there were revenue generating they were probably loss making they were never going to get any sort of COVID loan because they couldn't show the ability to service debt. Even the bounce back loan, they couldn't have serviced the debt at some point. Yeah. Future Fund yeah. enabled their investors to step forward, say, well, we're prepared to put in money if the government will match and the minimum was 125 from each side, 125,000 each, 250,000. Sounds a lot of money, but it's not if you're a, a business that's trying to develop product service. You can burn through that cash quite quickly. But that gave those businesses money. That scheme started with a premise of around £250 million. Um, it, it, it reached somewhere between one, 1.1 and 1.2 billion of funds going out. There's around about 28 million went out in the Northeast. Those businesses wouldn't be here. A lot of those will be the scaling businesses of tomorrow. Yeah. They will ultimately, large numbers of people. Um, some of them may be what they call unicorns, where they end up with a billion, a billion pound or a billion dollar valuation. Yeah. So I guess a lot of those pre-revenue. Yeah. I guess a lot of those pre-revenue um businesses as well, typically Sean would have looked at kind of private private equity, which I think did pick up towards the back end of, of 2020. But there was definitely a period there where, like you say before, there was that kind of animal spirits where everyone was just drawing the horns in trying to limit their exposure and that probably cut off yeah. a lot of uh, avenues to to funding for these pre-revenue businesses that previously it, were kind it, of rocketing yeah if they had pre-existing investors typically they would step forward but they wanted comfort and they got that with the, the sort of match funding from the bank um but on the other side of it if you were looking for new investment on day one so you already had a 
investors in there and you wanted some perhaps some VC funding, you were going beyond the angels and so on, and you were looking at VC funding, later stage funding, um, later, later round funding. A lot of funders said, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I know I've been talking and it's all been positive, but we just want to pause things. We just want to wait. We want to see what's going to happen. Yeah. But actually, they couldn't then give a time scale because no one knew a time scale because no one knew how long it was going to go on for. Um, those businesses were sort of left hanging in midair, if you like. They said, yeah. what, what, what happens to me now? I, I've got so much cash, but I can't, am I going to, how, how long, I'm, I've got to still, I've got to still fund, you know, the staff, I've got to pay bills, I've got to, I've got to pay myself. Um, yeah. How am I going to survive uh, if I can't get additional investment into the business? Um, yeah. I mean, the cash it, intensity it, of what it, they're it, doing it as well, these businesses, is, is, is so, you know, um, if you, if you develop, I mean, particularly in the technology and, and life sciences space, like you mentioned, to actually get one of these products, if you're developing your own IP, to get that to market is like an incredibly expensive thing to do, isn't it? It's, oh, Dave, yeah. I spoke to a business yesterday and he said, well, he was looking, he'd already had quite a lot of investment. He was looking for an additional hundred thousand. And he said, then on top of that, to actually probably get it at market, it'll need a further 700,000 pounds, you know? So wow. those are huge, huge numbers, <clears throat> you know? So yeah. you're probably talking that business need at least a few million pounds just to get the product to market, just to get it to the point at which it can earn revenue. Um, and, and it's a very innovative problem to get the product in the tech sector, but it, it shows you how much money these businesses actually need to reach a certain point. And yeah. of course, a lot of avenues, as you see, the business, you know, the bank effectively did a convertible loan into these businesses. Um, some of those have converted and the bank's been, been bought out, you know, uh, converted into equity. Normally converted at the three-year stage. Sometimes we've been bought out additional rounds of funding. Some of these businesses have been sold on and, and we've, we've stepped away. But ultimately, you know, the, the government through the bank will own a stake in these businesses across the UK. Um, yeah. And they're, and they're still here when when they wouldn't have been. goes back to that point about bounce-back loans. Businesses that are still here that wouldn't have been here. I'm, I'm old enough to remember the 1970s and I remember high unemployment rate and I remember mm. the decline of industries in this in this region in particular in other parts of the UK and three million unemployed worst case scenario if I hadn't had the COVID loan schemes if I hadn't had furlough if I hadn't had the grant schemes that the, all the local authorities and the left worked tirelessly to get out there and, and lots of other programs um, we could have had upwards of I think one statistic I saw from uh, uh, um, an economics team was upwards of 12 million people unemployed. So that's four times the worst case scenario that occurred in the 1970s. Wow. That would have been horrendous. Um, yeah. When you, I mean, when you yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you, look at, you look at how many jobs were supported by the furlough scheme um, over, over, over its full duration, like 12 months or however long it was. It was some, it, it might have been something like 11 million. Now, I mean, a lot of those yeah. people probably wouldn't have been made redundant if, if or, or at least a portion of them. But I mean, there would have been a lot of people made redundant, I think, were it not yeah. for that scheme. And, 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 the, and the byproduct of that is some people who were furloughed looked at their, their lifestyle, at their approach to things, they had a chance to step back, to spend time with family. 
perhaps they were able to go and, you know, take the children to school in the morning, pick them up in the evening, whatever it might be. And they decided they wanted to do something different. Many of them have moved to other industries and other sectors and we trained. I heard of somebody who was an accountant who was furloughed. Um, and he was he, he was he was a, he was described as a whiz with tax returns. He was brilliant at it. He'd been done it for years, but he never liked his job. He mm. hated his job actually. And 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 he's and the guy who was the partner of the firm said, you know, I was responsible and I was his line manager, and I knew he wasn't happy. Furlough him a chance to think about it, and he's and he's left the accountancy profession altogether, and he's retraining as an engineer because he always wanted to be an engineer from being a small child. And that's what yeah. he's going to do. So people do that. Other people have started their own business. You know, they've taken the opportunity to branch out and our startup loans business we operate has seen a real growth in the numbers of people approaching for startup loans and, yeah. and, and or at least inquiring about a startup loan. Um, and, and many of them just decided to they had a, an idea to start a business. They progressed that. Or they were already running a business off the side of the desk at weekends or evenings. And they've just decided, well, actually, I'd, I'd rather do that instead yeah. than, than work in this, this particular role that I have. I don't enjoy that role anymore. I'd rather do something different. And they've, they've had a quick, uh, you know, complete change of career, as it were. Yeah. And, and no, I, on I wanted to come on to this, the startup loan scheme because I think that that is um, such a such a big part of, of, of what the, the bank's going to be doing moving forward. Um, yeah. So could you could you just give us kind of like a bit of an overview of how that how that scheme is. works who it's available yeah. to what 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 these yeah. startup businesses so, can get out of it so um startups in the uk are categorized or anything that's from you know open the doors on day one as it were pre-start open the doors on day one up to two years in age when you're beyond two years in age the definition is that you're no longer a startup. so that's the first thing to stay a startup loan is a personal loan for business purposes that's the critical thing to bear in mind a personal loan used for business purposes, up to a maximum of £25,000 and a 6% fixed rate. You can come back more than once. So the average loan in the Northeast is between sort of seven and £8,000, for example. You might borrow 5000 to start your business. You could come back and get anywhere from that 5000 to the full twenty-five, as long as it's within the two years. Um, okay. The other thing to bear in mind is more than one individual in the business can get a startup loan. So if there were two partners or two directors that could each get a loan, up to a maximum of 100,000. So you could have four partners, four loans, four directors, four loans. Um, and, and, and the idea behind the scheme is they will help you create and build your business plan, um, the financial information, uh, the other input that needs to win the document, because somebody might be a very good um, entrepreneur, uh, very good at whatever business they want to go into, uh, they're a brilliant car mechanic and they've always wanted to set up a garage, but they're not particularly good when it comes to financial financials and numbers. We can't all be good at everything. That's not possible um, sometimes. So they will help you build your business plan. They'll, um, we have a number of startup loans partners around the country, roughly 20, um, and they will work with you to establish that business plan and that program. You'll have a mentor that works for you uh, even after the funds have lent throughout the first 12 months because it's quite lonely to start the business. It's who do you go to for advice? You might go to family, you might go to friends, but can they really help? Are they too close sometimes? Um, but with the start loans partner, you can engage with them and you can bounce an idea off them as well. You know, so if you think, well, I'm thinking of doing this, I'm thinking of doing that, you can talk to them and they'll try and they'll try and help you and guide you. Because 
it's still true that many businesses have been more than a third fail in the first 12 months. Um, and, and a lot of them, they're not bad businesses. Sometimes they struggle to collect cash or um, they've gone down the wrong road or something like this. Um, it is a bit of a minefield starting a business. And, and if somebody can help guide you through that um, and talk to you and hopefully give you sound advice, then that's a positive thing. Yeah. But the startup, you know, we have our own bank site. You can go to Startup Loans to, to, to Google it. Um, the, the 20 odd partners and we, and we work with people like um, Virgin Startup and, and Transmit and, and X-Forces Association and so on. So a lot of ex-military go into running their own business. I, I met a communication specialist. He'd been a communication specialist in the army, um, and he'd, he'd left the army after quite a long career. He decided to set up his own business, and he admitted himself he'd never seen being in his life. His wife lent him some money and family um, as, a, as, a, as an investment in his business, as it were, and he got a startup loan. And he came and spoke at a startup loans event I attended in London, uh, probably over two years ago now. And that business had grown from him with one van, installing mobile communications and internet um, for construction companies on site because the struggle in the construction oh, okay. office because okay. they, you know they look at plans and drawings, and email and so on, and, and it was quite a challenge for them. And he and he now had grown that business sort of a two three million turnover business. He had many many vans on the road all over the country. A lot of them were ex military, ex communication specialists like himself, who who he who he employed. And he was working with huge construction companies, you know, some of them household names. Um, yeah. Out of little acorns. And that, had, that, you know, so he probably had 20 or 30 people working for him, uh, perhaps more, right across yeah. the UK. He was building that business. Um, but previously, you know, he didn't have that. Yeah. So it, so, so, so he was a recipient of that, of the scheme, was he? Of the startup loan. Yeah. He was a ah, okay. Okay. So okay. You do get, you do get, um, uh, businesses like that and, and who grow and scale quickly. Either other businesses, all they may want to do is, and the term that used to, I used to hear is, and you still sometimes hear is lifestyle. There's nothing wrong in that if you start a business and all it does is generate an income for your family and for you to live. That's fine. And many of the start a business are lifestyle businesses. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're not right because it's your personal choice how far you take that business, how far you grow it. If you reach a certain point and you're comfortable with that income that the business generates and you're happy at that level and the number of people you do or do not employ, that's fine. If you if it's just you in the business all on your own, that's fine. Yeah. Um, there's nothing, there's no harm in that. Um, yeah. So that's the that's the situation that you that you see with startup loans. It's 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 really trying to provide funding and it the other critical thing is advice. Yeah. What we've also done is we've, we've got a partnership with the Open University now as well, Richard, where uh, you can upskill and build your knowledge. So you can do a course on project management or you can do a course on finance at different levels and sort of start to intermediate to, to a more advanced, free of charge as a startup loans recipient. Oh, okay. To build okay. your knowledge. So if you don't know anything about finance and you want to build your knowledge, um, and, and to be able to ultimately manage your own books rather than perhaps outsourcing it or using an accountant to do it, then then you can you can try and build your knowledge and, and, and upskill yourself as, yeah. as, your, as your business, you grow in knowledge as well. Um, yeah. So, it, you know, there's 230 million going out of that programme in the Northeast area alone. 
nearly 4,000 businesses have been being helped with a startup loan in this region alone. Um, and and yeah. you know, we regularly do events with startup loans partners. There's a, we have startup loans ambassadors for each region and some new ones going to be announced in November. Uh, that, that's the plan at the moment. Um, and they are people who have received a startup loan and you know, are happy to speak about their experiences of setting up in business and the challenges they face. Because you learn from you learn from your peers when yeah. you, when, you, when you hear people speak on that basis, I, I which, think, is a, which is a great thing. Yeah, I think I think as well, Sean. It's it's you know, you talk there about working with the Open University, you know, delivering those those courses and you know, and, and obviously delivering advice and, and, and mentoring for these um, sort of founders. And it really sounds like you know the the role of that scheme is to reduce as many barriers as it can to to someone starting up a business because like you say it can be a, a lonely experience it can be quite daunting if you don't have you know financial expertise or you know yeah. there's some there'll be some aspect of running a business that you won't be familiar with so it's it seems like that that scheme's targeted at just yeah like reducing those barriers and ensuring that if someone wants to start up a business and has a good idea that there's kind of nothing standing in their way yeah no i'd, I'd agree i think it's it's um, I think it's a challenge, you know, if you if you look at some funders in the market, a lot of funders are not, are not in the startup space. They're not, they may give you a bank account, but they're probably not going to provide a startup loan. Um, and, and, and people say, well, why, why not? Because it's high risk. Yeah. That's the reality. Um, many startups still fail. They do not get beyond the first 12 months. Um, and if... You know, if, if 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 a high street bank's invested in that business and it falls over, the chances are they've probably lost that money, or either all or the majority of the money. So yeah. the startup loan really fills that gap. It also works in in a space where um, a lot of the loans go to businesses in um, quite deprived areas, where um, you, and I'm thinking you know in this area in this region. You know, some, some areas in County Durham that were former mining areas that there's not a lot of, there's not many large employers. Um, if you're not self-employed, it's probably a bit of a challenge to find employment. Transport links may not be great. So if you can start your own business, your own area and work within your own community, that's that's a positive step. You know, 30 odd percent of the loans go to people who were unemployed or, or the term is economically inactive. Okay. Um, around 40% go to female founders because Quite often, female entrepreneurs don't don't get taken seriously when they're seeking funding. It's wrong, and it's 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 wholly inappropriate. But sometimes there's an unconscious bias takes place because if you're dealing with a um, you know somebody who is male uh, at a funder, sometimes they will gravitate towards other males to to, to lend to yeah. or to invest in. They won't necessarily think of a female-led business. It it's wholly yeah. inappropriate, and and the be supported and it shouldn't matter about your ethnicity it shouldn't matter about your your gender but sometimes this unconscious bias creeps in um, yeah. startup loans 40 percent of female founders three 20 percent go to people from ethnic backgrounds um you know, whether the uh, black or asian or other uh, ethnic minority uh, backgrounds which is which is great and it's, it's trying to change that dynamic yeah, um, and and work with businesses. Something like I think it's nearly seven hundred fifty million pounds have gone out under the program, um, and that's that's since six, since two thousand twelve because we inherited the program. It, it already existed before we came along, and we okay. reshaped it and 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 developed the program further. 
and you're trying to increase access to it as well. Because I, th- I think, I think, like you say, Sean, you know, there the has been a huge amount of, of, of progress made on, on some of these issues. But you know, a lot of a lot of the bias that um, that women and, and, and minority ethnic groups face is is unconscious, isn't it? So I think if there's if, if there if you know if you are able to deliver a lot of support to those groups, um, that can only be a good thing. Oh, it, it is. I mean, I did um, I did some training with the um, the, the, uh, the UK Business Angels Association a while ago, which is the sort of the the, the umbrella body, if you like, for uh, angel networks in the UK. And uh, we were able to do some training because obviously I've got quite a knowledge of lending, but less of equity. And we're trying to build our knowledge in that space. Um, and I watched a video about two angel investors, two brothers who had gone along. You have what they call a pitch event where businesses will pitch for investment and they'll have so many minutes to deliver, typically like five minutes to get that pitch across who they are, what they do, how much they want, what they're going to do with the money type thing. And, you know, come and see me afterwards type of thing if, you, if you're interested. Um, and they, these these brothers had marked up the five or six businesses they're going to see and the ones they wanted to see. And they really wanted to talk to the second business that was going to be pitching. The first one was female-led and weren't that bothered. They were sitting in the room, uh, you know, probably 50, 60 investors in the room or whatever. And, and the ladies got onto the stage and they were almost a bit different to them. But then they realised this was a revenue-generating business. It had a really great product. It was, it was three, three female founders. It was moving forward. They had deals with some large corporates that they either had signed or were about to sign. And it was a great business. And, and they didn't bother waiting for the second business to speak. They left the room and they spoke to them outside in the sort of anti-area, as it were, the anti-room. <laughs> and they ultimately invested in the business. And they said, we had this unconscious bias against female entrepreneurs. We realised it was really stupid. And, and, and we're a bit ashamed of ourselves and they had a fabulous business and it didn't matter whether they were male or female. Yeah. Because yeah. They, they were just on, on, a, on a real sort of trend upwards as a business. And we realized this was the best business by far. So it was a lesson to them. Don't just look at the paperwork that you get in advance, actually hear the people <laughs> speak. And yeah. You know, I would always encourage somebody if they're starting in business and you're pitching for investment or you're pitching for a loan or something, have that passion show the passion there'll nobody be as passionate about your business as you yourself about your own business um get that message across um make sure if you are pitching the right person pitch i've seen so many pitches where it goes horribly wrong because the person is the technical person very gifted but actually not the person to get the message across Mm. you've got five minutes to impress You've got one chance to impress. If you if you get it wrong, you'll always be remembered as the person. All they remember is the mess you made of the pitch. They'll not, no matter how good your business is, they'll, they'll yeah. get it right. It's first impressions, you know, isn't it, Sean? With that, yeah. And and it's really hard. I when I was a lending manager, um, uh, people used to used to come to me with proposals, and if they you know if they turned up late. Or if they turned up without the documentation, or um, there was meant to be two of them there, and one of them just came in. Unless there was a really valid reason, like they were really ill or something. Well, actually, shouldn't both of you be here? You know, yeah. um, or I'd ask for certain information in advance, and I'd, I'd put that out and I confirmed it in 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 it by email, and the, I didn't get anything. You know, yeah. or I got half of it. Well, 
these investors and these lenders are really busy people. They haven't got time to chase around after you. So yeah, it's the message that you send, isn't it? The message you send. And so what you'd end up is they'll go and help the business that does do those things, that does arrive on time, that does bring all the information, that does answer the questions promptly, that does turn up smartly dressed. I remember having one guy turn up for a meeting and rightly wrong, I know we all dress down a bit now. He turned up in flip-flops and shorts and a T-shirt. No disrespect. His credibility just got shot for me immediately because I'm in a suit, right? Now, I know that I expect you to be in a suit, but I expect you to be smartly dressed and actually turn up on time. He didn't even turn up on time. So, yeah. so if you don't have the respect for yourself, why should I? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what it comes down to. It's it's simple things that people forget, and they yeah. and they just they just they just let themselves be caught out almost before they've walked in the room. They've almost yeah. lost the deal before they've actually even said anything. And, yeah, and that's that's a that's, it's a bit of a bit of a shame really for me because I want I when I was a lending manager I wanted to help every business, but I can't. That's yeah, reality. yeah. So um, so so therefore you you have to be selective, don't you? Yeah, I help the people who help themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, well, so I wanted you go to, long I, way to help me now do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted to kind of round off really with with, with sort of advice that you would give. Now, I think um, making a good first impression is definitely, uh, yeah. definitely, is definitely something that's I, very important. I think, uh, you know, are there any, are there any other um, bits of advice, Sean, that you'd like to kind of leave these, yeah. you know, particularly in that first, in that first six, 12 months? Yeah. Uh, do a business plan. So whether you're borrowing or not, do a business plan um, to understand your, you know, your cash flow. Um, I, I remember seeing a business plan years ago where it had been done on an Excel spreadsheet, the, the cash flow, and they were going to earn the same amount of money every month without fail. And it suggested within a few months they didn't need anybody to lend them any money at all. But the reality was they were going to be offering credit. Uh, of, of probably at least 30 days. So actually you weren't going to have, it was going to be lumpy cash flow. Okay. Um, show that, show that, be honest, be upfront. So do a business plan, do the financial information, have it checked by an advisor, whether that be through startup loans or the great enterprise agencies that work up in this region and other parts of the UK, um, or either go to uh, a proper advice, you know, go to a financial advisor, like you know, accountancy firm and, and, and make sure you haven't made any mistakes in the plan and go back to it. Write it for yourself. Don't write it just for the lender or the investor. Refer back to it each month. Have you achieved the objectives you set yourself month on month? And if not, why not? And if you've exceeded them, what have you done that that that, 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 that means, you know, can you do more of what you've done to, to further exceed them? Um, yeah. And, and take advice. Um, don't be get don't get very precious about your business. Be prepared to listen to other people's views, because if they're a, an entrepreneur themselves, they'll likely be able to highlight some of the challenges you'll face and the pitfalls. Um, don't think you have all the answers because you don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's the reality of the situation. No, none of us, none of us do, unfortunately, do we, Sean? So no. No, I think that's a, I think that's a, a really good place to end. Um, so yeah, that, thanks so much, Sean. I think there's, there's a really, um, there's, there's a lot of information and, and, and advice and, and, you know, great to talk about the bank, great also to talk about, yeah, that the advice piece as well. And, 
you know, what businesses can do at that really early stage, um, you know, make a good first impression, get your business plan right. And yeah, I think lots of, lots of yeah. important takeaways for people to think about. So yeah, thanks so much again for, for coming on. No problem. No problem. Okay. Thanks for your time, Richard. That's great. Take care. Now. Okay. Bye Take now. care. Bye-bye. So that was Sean Foy providing an abundance of information and advice there to consider if you're starting out in business, looking for finance, or simply want to know more about the British Business Bank. We heard from Sean about just how pivotal those coronavirus loan schemes have been, uh, the C-Bills scheme and the Bounce Back Loan Scheme, in supporting businesses during what was a really difficult time in the early days of the pandemic, uh, when it really did look like a lot of companies would go under. We also discussed the Future Fund, which was made available to pre-revenue and early stage innovative companies looking to extend their cash runway, commercialize and get their products and services to market. We also heard about the Startup Loan Scheme, which if you're thinking about starting a business, I would really recommend taking a look at. Not only are the terms and conditions attached to that funding really accessible, but also the advice and mentoring you get as part of that scheme will really help you get your business off the ground. In terms of advice, there was a couple of things to pick out there from what Sean said. Uh, the first was the importance when you're speaking to either a bank manager like himself or an investor to make sure that you make a good first impression. You know, know your pitch inside out, dress appropriately, and arrive on time. These things can make a huge difference. Also make sure that your business plan is airtight, uh, get a second opinion on it, the opinion of a professional to look at the financial and legal aspects and make sure that your business plan is something that you return to again and again to measure your performance and stay on track ultimately. So huge thanks uh, to Sean for sparing the time to come on the podcast. For more information and advice about all things finance and funding, you can head over to the Finding Money button on the Yumi platform. Uh, everything you need to get started is available right there. So thanks again for listening and all the best with your business ventures.